While the Seattle Seahawks have yet to name a successor to legendary head coach Pete Carroll, they continue to work through their first round of interviews with the eight known candidates for the job so far. Today, for some insight into the search and the list of candidates, Rob Staten of the BBC and the Seahawks Draft Blog joins me on the show again. Always good to have Rob here. And he'll lend his insight on what he thinks the Seahawks might do, what they should do, and who some of his favorite candidates are from that list. Rob Staten joining me next here on Seahawks Forever. Welcome to the Seahawks Forever podcast. In-depth analysis on everything Seahawks. And now, here's your host, Dan Viennes. Be sure to hit that like button on YouTube and hit that bell for notification of future episodes. Subscribe to the channel and on any audio platform that you might listen to the show on to help support the show as best as possible. If you want ad-free episodes on the audio side of things, you can subscribe on Spotify for just 99 cents a month. That link will be in the description of the show. And if you just want to support me or the show, you can buy me a coffee or a beer at buymeacoffee.com. Link is also in the description. Uh, I'll also include links for the last couple of shows where uh, I talked to John Gilbert about the Seahawks salary cap situation, how they can clear quite a bit of cap space for next year so that they can pursue some players and retain some of their own free agents. And uh, also my initial reactions to the Pete Carroll firing and my initial list of five candidates that I prefer for the job. That list has changed slightly. I'll do another show in a couple of days uh, with my updated list of preferences. But for today, I thought I would bring in another outside voice. You know him, you love him. It's Rob Staten of the BBC. And I started following Rob's stuff oh, seven or eight years ago. Always loved just how much, like his, the BBC is his full-time job. <laughs> and the Seahawks Strap Log is a passion project. And how much time and effort he puts into that, how well he's gotten to know the organization. And so he's able to kind of uh, as he sees it, or as says it, uh, see the smoke that leads to the fire, connects some dots. Um, his draft coverage is always outstanding. Whether you agree with his assessments or not, um, there aren't many people out there that put as much work into it as Rob, and I always appreciate his insight. And so I uh, spoke to him just a little while ago about this uh, crop of coaching candidates to get his thoughts, and here is that interview now. Rob Staten on today's show. Always good to welcome Rob Staten back onto the show, and this may be our most uh, momentous uh, appearance together. Rob, let's let's start with the obvious, right? Uh, not just now that you've had a little over a week to digest it, not just the actual move of Pete Carroll being removed as head coach, but kind of what we know now about the process behind it and how the team uh, really handled the whole thing. Your thoughts on that? Well... I think the team's handled it as well as anybody could be expected. It's never easy to part with a coach who's been there for 14 years, who is still much loved by a fan base and still highly respected within the building, as we saw with that final press conference from Pete Carroll. Uh, I think that it's it's probably so unusual that people maybe have, to a certain extent, struggled to understand what it means when you say someone's becoming an advisor because to me, yeah. it, it's, it's a very gentle, it's a soft landing for Pete yeah. Carroll. It's a, we, we fired Pete Carroll and we, he still has a year on his contract. And rather than sort of pay him off and, and call it a firing and have him go away, he, they will continue to pay him and he will be an advisor and he will get that money over the course of the next 12 months. And if they, they ever need to pick up the phone and give him a call, then he will be on the other end of a phone. But um 
I think the team's handled it very, very well. I love the uh, the process that they're going through at the moment because I was a little bit worried, Dan, that uh, it would be almost like a procession, that they would have an idea. And my initial thought was possibly Dan Quinn. Yeah, and that course. we would go through you know, a bit of a charade before that appointment was just confirmed. But in actual fact, it looks as if they're going through a huge process here. They're going to speak to multiple people, and that is the right thing to do. Yeah, and and I think you're right. I think there's been some thought. There was even some reporting around the idea last offseason when Dan Quinn withdrew his name from a couple of coaching searches that maybe he was potentially waiting on the McCarthy situation to have some clarity if things opened up in Dallas, but also that he had his eye on the Seattle job, how much the fact that it does seem that as if Schneider's going to cast a wide net, we're going to talk about this group of candidates here in a moment, but that it, it doesn't just seem to be a, a, a handoff to Dan Quinn to keep continuity with the culture. How much of that has to do with how that defense in Dallas finished the season? It's unavoidable. And, you know, I, I've seen, I've seen a lot of articles talk about this and I've heard a lot of radio spots and podcasts and where you can't read too much into one game. And that is true to an extent, but you also can. It's your final impression that you leave on an organization. When you go into the press conference now as Dan Quinn, the teams are going to ask about it. What on earth happened against the Dallas Cowboys? Mm -hmm. Explain to us why you did not have an answer to the Green Bay Packers putting up a record number of points against your Dallas defense in that game. You have to be able to address that. And it's just not a great thought to have in the head of an owner or a GM that this were, this is what I could get if I hire you and we do everything we need to do during the regular season to get a home playoff game. But then when the pressure is on, when the, the, the football actually matters, win or go home or the season's over, that's the kind of product we're going to get from a team led by you. That's a, a major concern. So yeah. I think it's he. It may even have been that the Seahawks were had him at the top of the list and thought, well, do you know what? The worst case scenario, we're going to hire Dan Quinn and we'll mm-hmm. go through the process. And if nobody shines, we'll go back to Dan Quinn. That may have changed a little bit off the back of that game. They may have just had to reevaluate that thought. And I'm sure that Dan Quinn is still a very strong candidate for this job. I don't think you throw the baby out in the bathwater because of one game because there's still positives around Dan Quinn. Clearly, there are also some negatives, as that game highlighted as well. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I think they, they will be a lot more open-minded about his candidacy than they perhaps would have been just seven days ago. Yeah, and then, you know, just even in a bigger picture, last eight games of the season, I think the Cowboys gave up 25 points a game. And, and the fact that the meltdown last week came against a similar offensive scheme that we see from the Rams and the, and the 49ers because of the Fleur's connections there certainly doesn't it right now I can tell you from, and I I'm sure you've seen it too, from a show I did recently about the idea of Dan Quinn taking over the job. It would be a very polarizing move among the fan base. There are some who absolutely want a, a clean sweep and don't want anything to do with, uh, with the Pete Carroll culture. And that includes Dave Canales as a potential candidate as well. So uh, interesting. Let's talk about the group as a whole, because I wonder, as I look at this so far, eight reported interview requests. And then there's the one we're still kind of waiting on Mike McDonald from the Ravens that there's been rumored interest, but, but we haven't seen an official request yet. Uh, The team is working through those interviews. Now Raheem Morris today, Frank Smith yesterday as a whole though, the group of eight, 
did the Seahawks maybe not time this well? Because it, it seems to me, especially if you're looking offense, it's a pretty shallow group. I think it's, it's hard to say because I, I don't know. You can't time it in a perfect way sure. most of the time. Like maybe if they'd have fired Pete Carroll a couple of years ago, they would have had a better crop. I, I don't know. I can't remember. Or they might have ended up with Arthur Smith or Brandon Staley too. So you never know, it's, right? Exactly. And listen, <laughs> yeah. people, you know, hindsight's a great thing. People talk about, I mean, look, I've had conversations where people have gone, oh, I don't want Arthur Smith as the offensive coordinator. But you go back three years, Arthur Smith was extremely popular as mm -hmm. a progressive offensive-minded candidate. And Brandon Staley won his press conference. He stood up at the podium, was incredibly confident. He just led the number one defense in the NFL. People were so high on him. So things can change very quickly. And that's perhaps a little cautionary note for the Seahawks as they go through this process, that just hiring a first-timer who you know, seems like the trendy hire to go for, it, it, you maybe do have to be very, very cautious uh, about that. Listen, I think the whole discussion around this head coach situation, Dan, has been flawed. I think, and, and I've fallen into this trap too, I do not discount myself from this. But so much of the debate has been, is it, should it be an offensive guy? Should it be a defensive guy? Should, do we need to copy Shanahan and McVeigh? Do we need to, to get an experienced guy because they'll know what to do? And listen, I think it really just comes down to this. You sit down in front of these guys and you ask them some serious questions about their vision, their philosophy. Because the one thing that I think Pete Carroll had that was one of the main reasons he succeeded is he knew exactly what he wanted to be. Yeah. I don't think Jim Mora did the year before. It was, it was muddled. No one really knew what Jim Mora's football was mm. in Seattle. Pete Carroll was the complete opposite to that. So you need to know what their vision is. You need to sit down to them. And these are the words you need to hear. I want to build through the trenches. It, it, that has to be the key. You know, if you are good on the offensive line and the defensive line, you'll win a lot of games of football, especially at this time of year in the playoffs. Off the back of that, who's your quarterback going to be? You need to hear an answer, whether it's defensive minor head coach, offensive minor head coach, what's the long-term future of the quarterback? And would you be open to drafting and developing a quarterback either this year or next? Because that's going to have to happen simply because Geno Smith's in his mid-30s already. Yeah. At some point, right. they're going to have to draft Yeah, regardless of how you feel about him, right. So you need your coach to be on board with the idea of drafting a quarterback. You need to know how they plan to win the key games. So one of the, one of the big talking points last week was, um, you know, the, the Cowboys not adjusting well to Green Bay's motion. Green Bay showing things, looks on, on offense that they'd shown all season, but having little wrinkles off the back of that. What are the kind of details that a coach is going to have, again, whether they're offensive or defensive-minded, to keep opponents guessing in the big games to enable you to get the upper hand and to win those. And those are the kind of things, I don't think it really, the more I think about it, it doesn't really matter so much what the background is of the coach. These are the things you kind of need to know. And also, yeah. you need to be confident that this person can stand up in a room full of people and he can lead them. And again, you've got to have a conversation with, these, these guys in person, not just on Zoom, that's going to start happening next week. And you've got to feel really good about the direction. And these, these seem to me like the important things. And, you know, when I, I completely understand, and that's a point I've made many times myself, that if you appoint a defensive guy and the offensive coordinator succeeds, he's going to go somewhere else. And then you're going to be bound to square one. But in, in a way, you can't be a prisoner to that 
thought that that can't yeah. be the you can't be making decisions based on fear. Well, I think it's important to note that two of the eight remaining head coaches never called plays as a coordinator. Dan Campbell and John Harbaugh was a special teams coach. Campbell coached tight ends and some offensive line. Mike McDaniels could have been in that group if he had made it too. And, um, and then at the end of the day, you're a CEO, right? Uh, I want to talk about the candidates themselves now. And I want to start because it, to me, I feel like there's, there's one and then there's a group. And I say that because it, it sounds like all the dot connecting that's happening right now seems to favor the fact that Ben Johnson's the guy in Washington and there's a connection there and that he's even Ian Rappaport uh, reported the other day that Johnson favors building from the ground up. You know, he likes that number two pick chance to handpick his quarterback and all the cap space there and the weapons they already have. And that he may be with outside of the Seahawks reach, even though they do have a request in to interview him. Do you see it that way? Is that kind of your feeling now that, that Johnson might not be in play for the Seahawks, even though he <laughs> he might be the perfect candidate. Well, do you know over the last sort of two or three years, um, while people have there's been a lot of pushback, some of the things we've talked about on the on the blog, which was the Russell Wilson trade or the potential of Pete Carroll moving on, or you know the fact that Jalen Carter is not going to be drafted by the Seahawks. And, and the, the phrase I've always used is "there's no smoke without fire." Yeah, and it's kind of stood me in good stead for a while um, when trying to project what might happen with the Seahawks. And I would say that there is a lot of smoke, and there's probably a pretty big fire uh, down the road when it comes to Ben Johnson, the Commanders. The I was listening to Mike Garofalo on the radio on, on KJR yesterday, and they played the clip of, of Ben Johnson saying, "I everybody I've spoken to says that Adam Peters is a fantastic guy, very talented. I look forward to meeting with him." And Garofalo just goes, "He's met him." before this is all nonsense right. he's already right. met with a guy yeah like he's just saying this because it's a press conference and you know there's been little murmurs that he wants to live in that part of the world mm. you know northeast as opposed to anywhere else uh as you mentioned there that you know Rappaport reporting that he wants to build from the ground up so it all points in the direction of washington he'd be the guy that i'd most like to go with because i think he would he would you know just so many aspects of Seattle that are comparable to Detroit. And people yeah. are going to say, well, about the offensive line? Well, build a great offensive line. And if you actually look how Detroit have built their line, it's not like top five pick, top five pick, top five pick. There's right. a third round guard. Yeah. There's a, a free agent uh, guard who's cost less than Phil Haynes. You know, it's picking a, a tackle in the first round, an exact pick that you have this year. So, you know, there's, a, there's ways and means of, of building a good offensive line. You can do that. I, I think he'd be perfect. I think he ticks every box. I think he could build a staff. I think he would make the most of Seattle's offensive weapons. I think he would give you an immediate identity. I think he's intelligent and smart enough to compare to a Sean McVay, and he could be your answer to that. Uh, but sadly, it looks as if the commanders have got that uh, upper hand, and I'd still get the seaplane out and the uh, and, yeah. and look if you know. I've been saying like if there's any any sort of uh, like maybe Dave Grohl could give him a personal set or something, or <laughs> you know whatever any strings you can pull. To, to lure him to Seattle, get him a house on Lake Washington. I don't know. You know, there has to be things you can do. Yeah. But um, I, I don't think he's going to be the Seahawks next head coach, but I'd love it if he was. Well, and I felt like specifically that was kind of a little hint from Schneider's press conference the other day when he talked about how competitive it is right now. I, 
I, I thought of Dan Johnson immediately, and I'm sure that, you know, what we know about John Schneider, if that's the guy he decides he wants, he's going to try and get as much of Jody Allen's money on his side as he can and make the best shot that he can in trying to convince him otherwise. Uh, you talk about smoke and fire. You wrote about this the other day. There's been a lot of momentum the last few days uh, in the Mike Vrabel camp coming to Seattle. A lot of big name national NFL reporters are now saying that's the guy that they see landing here. Um your feel about that potential fit? You know what? I'm so confused about this. I th- I've probably spent too much time trying to work out in my own head what's going on here because it's it's unusual. I haven't heard Peter King essentially petition for a coach to end up with a team like he has today and on with Mike Florio and yesterday with. With Dan, Dan Patrick, Patrick, yeah. And in his own article on Monday, mm-hmm. like, Vrabel, Seattle, Vrabel, Seattle, Vrabel. That's a perfect fit. And I, I don't know where that, where's that coming from? Is that because King has a contact with Vrabel who quite fancies it? Is that because the agent wants his name out there? I, yeah. I I don't know. Is it just because it actually is right and it's it's a great fit? Schefter mentioning that they're close. Uh, Greg Bell saying that he's the favorite amongst all of the candidates. Yeah. But then, you know, they, then on the other hand, you've got Mike Garofalo. Like, he was asked, like, what about Vrabel and, and the fit in Seattle? And he laughed. He laughed on the radio on KJR mm. and said, if their aim is to retain the positive, feel-good vibe within the building, Mike Vrabel's not the guy to appoint because his reaction to the A.J. Brown trade, which I'm so, sure you've seen, yeah. can yeah, he can be a little it. cranky. He's got yeah. up, he's shaking his head. He's letting <laughs> right. the world know that was not my decision. Now, if that's how he is, if he's going to be moody and, and you know, a bit sort of like, look, just watch every... I watched a lot of Tennessee at the end of the season. I don't know why. I think it's because we were playing him on Christmas Eve and I wanted to get a feel for it. Mm. And also I was just intrigued by, you know, how Will Levis and people like that were getting on. Right. And like, Rabel spent the last six weeks of the season looking like he wanted to strangle everybody. Like, so I kind of see what Mike Garofalo's talking about there so on the one hand you know his personality i've watched way too much interviews i watched a two-hour podcast with mike Vrabel and bossing with the boys for god's sake just to find out what he's like his personality you would absolutely see him meshing with john schneider yeah right they'd be bros whether, whether he is the mesh in that building i don't know but then the other hand maybe they want something completely different Maybe they want somebody who's going to go in there and rock the boat a little bit and and be the opposite of Carroll. Maybe that's what the Seahawks need. Maybe the Seahawks need a bit of a jolt. And look, all of Rabel's players speak very highly of him. So it's not like mm-hmm. he's going to go in there and be Josh McDaniels or Brian Dable. What on earth's going on over there at the minute right. in New York? Yeah, I don't think he's going to be like that. But you know, clearly he is not Dan Quinn, <laughs> who is going to be arm round everybody, a, a continuation of the Carol vibe. So I don't know what to make of this. I, nah. I can't tell whether I'm buying it 100% or whether I'm not buying it at all. I'm massively intrigued why he's being linked so much by some of these journalists. And I, and I honestly can't work it out. But what I will say for him is his team's played tough. He just watched what they did against the Seahawks. They had like... Guys pulled off the street to play O-line and they ran it down Seattle's throat. Yeah. They had no secondary and they should have won that game. And they're playing tough and, you know, it's not his fault that the GM, 
traded away AJ Brown. It's not his fault that then the interim GM made the next draft and then a third guy came in to run the team this year. You know, that's a shambles behind the scenes. Tannehill got old. They drafted two quarterbacks back to back years. Uh, Tannehill's been injured. Derek Henry's coming to the end. So I, I have mixed views on it. I wouldn't hate it. Certainly not not my favourite hire, though. Yeah. Behind, I think Ben Johnson and uh, Slowick would be up there first. Well, so let's move on to Bobby Slowick next. He's kind of the next in line then, if you can't get Johnson, of, of up-and-coming, bright, young offensive minds in only his first year as a play caller. But he comes from that Shanahan tree. We've all seen the blurry picture now from, I think it was the 2013 staff in Washington with the Redskins. Yeah. How were they not a, a great team with all those guys and McDaniels and Lafleur and and uh, and Shanahan and McVay? And there's Bobby Slowick, who at the time was a de- defensive coach, which is just one of the many elements of his background that's interesting. But what he's done with C.J. Stroud this year, even though the, the overall offensive numbers of the Texans and their and their rankings throughout the league don't jump off the page, but what have you seen from him and the way he runs an offense and – and maybe some of the interviews you've watched with him that lead you to believe he he might be ready for a head coaching opportunity. Incredibly intelligent. Such a brilliant speaker at the podium. Now, I don't think he is necessarily Dan Campbell, you know, standing in front of the room, getting the yeah, guys biting wow. some kneecaps. Right. Uh, but I certainly think He looks 15. He does look 15, <laughs> you know. And as someone who is 39, I resent that. Uh, <laughs> Because I do not. But, it, right. but the thing is, is he is he is up there and he speaks so well. And I, and I have to say, I felt this way about Ben Johnson as well. They do, it's such a, people got a lazy comparison. But he reminds me a lot of the way that Sean McVay communicates. Mm. And maybe that's just trying to wish it into a reality. But that's what he reminded me of. And when you watch that Houston-Cleveland game, and they weren't playing a joke team. They were playing the, the DVOA's number two defense in the Cleveland Browns, the Cleveland Browns who beat the Niners, the Cleveland Browns that went to Baltimore and beat the Ravens with PJ Walker at quarterback. You know, they weren't playing a, a mug team and they went and beat them and beat them well. Yeah. That, that, you know, Jim Schwartz has had Kyle Shanahan's number his whole career. And yet Bobby Slowick had Jim Schwartz's number. And yeah. the, the little things they were doing, you know, Jim, uh, Josh Norris put some tweets when Jeff Simmons retweets them. And that's how I caught, caught wind of them. Just showing the little subtle things he was doing uh, to create mismatches, to create openings for running backs running out of the flat, you know, to to make them open, you know, to get his receivers open. You look at he's taken a you know a just a, a batch of receivers who you, you wouldn't have drafted any of them early in your fantasy draft, right? And yet they look great with Slowick, you know, and you th- and you start to dream. You think, what could he do with Jackson Smith and Jibber? What could he do with Ty Lockett? What could he do with DK Metcalf? He's he's elevated CJ Stroud. So if you are going to draft a quarterback in the next couple of years. Who better to pair with him than Bobby Slowick? So there's so much working in his favor, and I'm excited about the prospects of getting him in. I do wonder uh, whether he could even be plan B and a, and a decent plan B to, to Ben Johnson if they do want to go with an offensive-minded head coach. There's only one slight reservation, and it's the same reservation I would have with McDonald in Baltimore, is that does he have the ability to build a staff. Yep. Like there's not going to be any question. Like Dan Quinn will walk into his interview and go, and I've got this guy as my defensive right. coordinator and he's coming with me an offensive coordinator and this is my linebackers coach and this is my own And Vrabel coach. probably too. 
Vrabel as well. Yeah. And Bobby Slowick is, I don't know who he's going to hire because he's been in San Francisco yeah. and he's been in Houston and that's it. And he was working at PFF like a few years ago. So unless he's going to hire, um, you know, some of the guys on there, <laughs> who's going with him to yeah. run these operations? So that there's some of the, uh, the concerns. But like, you know, just to finish, you know, the point you made about that Washington staff, why wouldn't you take a chance like the Fleur, McVeigh, Shanahan, uh, this, uh, was Kevin O'Connell there? I don't know. It's all these guys. Yeah, if you want to play the odds, <laughs> the <laughs> odds are pretty good there. You would be really unfortunate <laughs> the one guy on that graphic that you right. appoint is the one who's no good. So I would I would be very willing to take that chance. And you wonder, when, when I saw the candidate list, and then uh, after watching Schneider's press conference the other day, he made it very clear that he is now in control of the coaching staff. And, and so you wonder with an inexperienced head coach like that, that might not have a ready-made staff ready to go or might not have those connections that, that Schneider will make some of those calls. And that leads me to, to wonder about some of the candidates on the list. I, was, I raised an eyebrow when I saw uh, Patrick Graham on that list. You know, hadn't heard of him really being a head coaching candidate. Maybe a little bit of a lesser extent to Aviro um, uh, Ajiro. Uh, Evero Ajiro, um, as a guy that obviously John's going to know because of his connections with Scott Fitterer, but maybe those are guys that if they don't get head coaching jobs and you hire a green offensive head coach, that you're you're building the framework there to maybe hire those guys as DC. You 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 can't mention Aviro's name without mentioning that he's from without getting it wrong. No, without <laughs> mentioning he's born in England. That's the most important okay. thing you can ever, there you, you go. have to mention that. He was born in England. Born so, in England, uh, and obviously uh, Schneider's going to know a lot about him because uh, of his buddy Scott Fitterer, for sure. Um, I, I, think you've hit, I think you've hit the nail on the head. Yeah. Uh, and, and really, this is no disrespect to those candidates. Uh, you know, they, they deserve to have the opportunity to be interviewed because they, they all have a track record. They've all succeeded. And as you mentioned, Scott Fitterer's been in Carolina. Don Capers has been basically... Um, I, yeah. you, 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 uh, the name, is it a or is it the other way around? I'm, I think I'm really it, it, sorry. I think they rhyme. Yeah, I think they rhyme together. I'm or really maybe sorry. It's... E, <laughs> um, he's, he's been his, uh, basically like his, his right-hand man yeah. for, for the last two years. And Don Capers was in Green Bay when John Schneider was. So he's going to have all sorts of references. So they deserve to be, to be interviewed. But you're absolutely right. Carolina's about to hire a, a new coach. And... This happened to EE uh, in Denver. They brought Sean Payton in and they gave him the choice. Do you want to stay or do you want to move on? And he chose to move on. Yeah. The same thing could happen. And with Patrick Graham, listen, I think Antonio Pierce is going to get the job. And then maybe Antonio Pierce will want somebody else or maybe he will just stick with Patrick Graham. Maybe Patrick Graham will fancy you. But it's, it's worth sort of getting them in, trying to impress them, building some relationships, picking their brains. Because as you said, that was a really good point on Schneider saying, I control the coach and stuff. So there's mm -hmm. all sorts of like little Easter eggs within that. You know, we don't want to uh, lose offensive coordinators. I'm mm -hmm. picking the coaching staff. Um, you know, the little things like that, you just think, okay, it sounds like he's going to go with an offensive coordinator who's going to be the play caller to research. But also, it may be John Schneider saying, give these three guys a call. There, you what, what and pick one to be your defense. Who do you mesh with the most as defensive coordinator? I want to bring this guy, this guy, and this guy in to be part of your staff. That could easily be a, um, a, a planned direction for the Seahawks. So, I think that's a great point. 
What's your take on Frank Smith? There's a lot of buzz about him lately. He seems to be moving up some lists for people that uh, as as one of the favorites. Uh, and yet his background is so unique to this list. He's watched some interviews with him. Very dry personality. Doesn't give you a lot to to hang your hat on as far as you know being dynamic behind the podium. He's never called plays, but yet his background is is really intriguing. He was an offensive line coach for for many years and a very good one at that. Um, and now he's had two years under Mike McDaniel's in in uh, or Mike McDaniel in in Miami. Uh, he was certainly a surprising name to see on the list for me initially, but in your research since then, uh, what thoughts have you formed about his candidacy? Yeah, absolutely right. Not the most charismatic guy, and you know you, that you can't be beholden to how a, a man speaks in a press conference. But it is worth right. it is worth just mentioning because he is going to have to stand up in front of like ninety hundred people on the first day of training camp and plot the course for this franchise for the future. And, uh, and uh, you know, when you actually look at his background, it, it's a good thing that he's worked with lots of different coaches and he seems to have had a, a somewhat meteoric rise where he goes somewhere, he impresses, another coach poaches him, he impresses, he then, you know, and he's kind of gone through the, the ladder there. Players seem to love playing for him. He was voted the, the top coordinator by the Players Association when they did their vote of 1,700 people. And I, mm -hmm. I mentioned this point in the past. It's hard to, you know, they could do it really putting the numbers out there because if the, the guy who wins has 56 votes or something like that, and then 16th place has 47, there's not that much difference right. between them. And that could easily be the case if you've interviewed 1,700 and have only ever worked for a couple of coordinators. But he was first, so he's obviously well-liked by his players. The concern, it, it has to be that he hasn't called plays. Yeah, Like, it's bad enough that you might throw Slowick or Johnson into the fire, having called plays and say, right, now you're the main man. To do that with somebody and also say, and for the first time, you've got to call plays. And some people can do it and some people just can't do it. So I'm, I want to see evidence that someone's been able to do that. I'd almost be thinking, ah, if you appoint him, do you have to appoint somebody to work with him who's called plays hmm. to just deliver the offense? I still think it's worth picking his brain just because for the first half of the season, Miami were fantastic. They were on fire, such an explosive offense. Um, but it tailed off towards the end. And that's also a little bit of a concern. And they didn't seem, to, they seemed a bit predictable by the end of the year. And teams had sussed them out without Tyreek Hill just being generational player. They yeah. seemed to stall their offense. So not someone that I'm um, banging the table for, Dan, but certainly... If he got the job, it'd be intriguing because he must have impressed in some way. Right. One guy that does impress that jumps off the screen. I spent way too much time just just on YouTube last night, just watching interviews, trying to get a feel for how these guys come across. Uh, Raheem Morris is someone that in the last couple of days has become a lot more interesting to me. Obviously, I've been aware of him for years. But then today, Les Snead, their GM, in his end of the season press conference comes out and uh, just kind of uh, unprompted unsolicited spends the first four or five minutes of his press conference today talking about uh, talking about him and what a great head coaching candidate he he would be and that any team would be lucky to have him um, is he a legitimate candidate for this for this gig yeah I think he is uh, whether or not he's somebody necessarily that I'm like pining for as a Seahawks fan I, I'm not sure just look I've watched an hour-long podcast with him in his house while he's caressing a glass of wine uh, to try and learn, you know, more about these candidates. I missed and, that one. 
the the <laughs> charisma bursts off the screen. Mm-hmm. You know, he is a lot of somebody energy. that I can well imagine players just really enjoy being around. That he would go into that building and there'd be the energy that you know, if they are looking to continue some of that energy, it might be slightly different than Pete Carroll. But if they want positive guy, players guy, he ticks every box. He is very energetic on the sideline. And I can underst- totally understand why Les needs gone to bat for him because he seems incredibly likable. The only thing that gives me slight pause is that... <sighs> Like the the Rams defense has lost a lot of players, so it's mm-hmm. hard to judge. But ha, has it been that good over the last two years to yeah. think the performance of the defense for the Rams is so good that he's going to transform Seattle's defense? I'm not sure. And if you were going to appoint him, I mean, look, maybe you appoint him and you put a great defensive coordinator with him, and he's just the figurehead. He's a Dan Campbell type right. leader, not calling plays. That, 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 that could certainly work. But I think you would then have to appoint great coordinators with him. You then run the risk of losing them. Do I really want another player's coach? I'm not sure. I'm, I'm not saying that, like I said, I don't want a Belichick disciple who's just going to annoy everybody and make everybody miserable either. But I'm not sure that having another coach like this is continuation the best thing. Because I don't know. I don't know what you think. Dan. I just thought the team just looked darn comfortable at the end of that season. You know, yeah. just... Like they were going through the motions, and it, they need a rocket up the backside. And I'm and I'm not sure. Maybe Morris's energy would give them that. Like, whoa, here we go. This right. is new. It's a new message. And he's energetic and he's positive. And let's go. They're I, used. I, they're used I, to I energy, know. though. I think you make a good point. There was there was a conversation to be had if Carroll had been retained for one final season or, or or beyond. That you know whether or not that culture might not be nurturing that that hard edge that you need to win in today's in today's game. And we see him we saw him get punched in the mouth by Pittsburgh. We saw him, as you said, get punched in the mouth by the Titans, even though they end up pulling that game out. Um it's it they they lost they lost that physical edge. Even Pete said it himself at the end of the year. And so you do wonder if maybe a, a little bit of an opposite feel there, as you kind of mentioned with Vrabel would be interesting. When when Pete Carroll was hired 14 years ago, none of us saw that coming. It was out of the blue. We didn't have these long coaching, uh, you know, they didn't have the process that they do now. There weren't as many restrictions. And so you could kind of do whatever you wanted to do on your own timeline. He, he mentioned, he was asked in his press conference about the possibility of some college guys. He talked about the, the difficulty of that with their schedule and how it doesn't match up with the NFL. But do you, do you think there's any possibility that somewhere out there, there is a mystery candidate lurking? No. It's kind of hard I to get away with that these days. Yeah, I, I don't think there is. I think maybe they will put a request in for McDonald at Baltimore. That that may even have gone in. I don't know why that hasn't come out because it would be weird not to speak to him. Like if you're going to speak to the guys that they have done, you yeah. would think you would go on. You would go and have a conversation with the guy. And he doesn't so, seem to be a reported favorite for any of these other jobs. No, I mean maybe maybe the NFL just thinks he's not ready. I don't know because he's only been there two years, and maybe they think uh, he can't build a staff. And look, the other problem that discuss with this is if, if Harbour, if Jim Harbour goes to, to the Chargers, he's presumably going to build a, a complete staff for them. Yeah. He, not presumably, he is. He's going to build a staff. And then if McDonald leaves uh, Baltimore, then, then John Harbour is going to be looking 
perhaps internally for candidates, the pool of staff from which a, you know, a Mike McDonald could pick from could be quite thin and he hasn't yeah. got maybe the contacts. So maybe that's, maybe that's a reason why teams are just thinking, yeah, do you know what, in a year or two maybe, I don't know. Yeah. We'll, we'll see what, what happens with that. I don't think there's going to be a surprise. Kind of, I, I think with college, it's really hard. Look, we saw what Matt Rule did it in Carolina and he flopped. Uh, Jim mm-hmm. Kelly flopped. You know, the guys who come straight in from college, I don't think Lincoln Riley would be a success. I, I, you know, then when he started banning journalists from press conferences last year and hiring Cliff, yeah. Cliff Kingsbury to run his offense, you're thinking, yeah, his star has faded. I think it's going to come from pretty much the names that we know. And I think they will, you know, if, it feels like nobody really knows what's happening. And there's all sorts of, yeah. I could probably, if you said to me, what do you think is going to happen? I could probably picture you like three scenarios that I feel really confident about. One of them is they're going to speak to everybody and just appoint Dan Quinn and that Dan Quinn will convince the Seahawks that, okay, messed up Green Bay. I'll bring you a defensive coordinator who will do a better job than I will. And I'll just lead the team and I'll be the figurehead and I'll do that. And I'll bring a great offensive coordinator and I'm going to be Dan Campbell. And they may go, okay, that's fine. We, we, we're, we're happy with that. We think you're a leader. And okay. I can easily imagine out of all of this, it just ended up being Dan Quinn. I can easily imagine them doing the exact same thing with Mike Vrabel. Right. I can easily imagine them thinking, we've got to get Ben Johnson. We've got to get Ben Johnson. Ah, crap. We haven't got Ben Johnson. Okay. Let's go and get Bob Slowick. It's, it just feels like it's so open. And I find that a little bit unnerving because you kind of want to clear cut. Like if you're a Commanders fan right now, you're probably sad. You might even have a bit of a cigar on the go. Yeah. Or, you know, bourbon and go, you're pumped. Sounds like Ben Johnson's coming. You we know, got rid of Dan Rangers. Snyder. We have the most cap space in the league. We have the second pick in the draft, and we're getting the hot shot new young Highly coach. rated GM. Yeah. And you're thinking, great. And then from the Seahawks' point of view, you're kind of thinking, okay, if you're not getting him, you just want to feel really good about this hire. And that's the problem. It, you know, Quinn will be divisive. Yeah. And it's a hard press conference to win after what happened against Green Bay. Vrabel will not be divisive, I don't think, but there'll be a kind of like a, oh, cool, I'll give that a chance reaction. And others yeah. will be like, eh. And then with some of these other guys, it's it's a real unknown. So like, slow, it could be great, could be bad. McDonald could be great, could be bad. Uh, you know, and then, and then maybe they sort of allow themselves to be wooed by Morris because he can come in and convince better than Rabel and uh, Quinn that he can be a figurehead type. So it does feel like, all things are open. I would feel a lot more comfortable as a Seahawks fan if there was like one guy who we thought, yeah. great, get him. The reports are suggesting he's coming. I can live with that. Because uh, I have to say, you know, I, I just, I'm not, I, I'm sorry to go off on a complete tangent, but going back to the Dan Quinn thing, don't, don't you just feel that when he had success in Seattle, he had the LOB. Mm-hmm. When he had success in Atlanta, he had Cal Shanahan. As soon as Shanahan bolted, 24 and 29. Yeah. That's a it's a crappy record. And then when he was in Dallas, he's had Micah Parsons. Yeah. All of his success comes with a bit of a yeah, but he had this the table set for him. Yeah. And when if he comes to Seattle, he isn't gonna have Parsons, he isn't gonna have an LOB, he isn't gonna have Kyle Shanahan, presumably. So, or anybody like him. So you kind of think, are you, are you just jumping headfirst into being an average team, as great a guy as he is, as great as a leader as he may be. 
Yeah, it's it's tough, and and I think it's it's funny to see the chatter out there among fans because they all seem like they know exactly what's going to happen, and and the ones that are anti Dan Quinn are simply anti status quo. They just feel like the reason things went off the rails with Pete Carroll or it wasn't advancing were were reasons that they would be repeated if Dan Quinn were to come along, or they they do what we talked about earlier and they look at that last playoff game and they say his defenses haven't been good or he failed in Atlanta, but then some of these same fans are really quick to say, Frank Smith, Bobby Slowick, let's go. Not knowing anything about who their defensive coordinator would be or what that side of the ball might look like at all. I, I do tend to believe, just because you know my, my interactions with Schneider, I know him to be a, a guy that's passionate about this, and, and certainly we've seen his approach to things in other areas. This, this is a legacy hire for him. This, this will literally determine the next phase of his career, certainly in Seattle. He can't get it wrong. And so, and I say that because I just want people that are watching this to know that that my initial feelings, if they hire Dan Quinn, won't be, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a fallback plan. It'll be that John Schneider truly believes that that's the guy that they can win with today. Can I ask you a question then? Mm-hmm. Because this is what I'm trying to square, one of the one of the hundred things I'm trying to square my own mind about this whole process is, if, if this is such an important hire for John Schneider, and it is, you're absolutely right. What's he going to do then? Is he going to be willing to, is he, because John in the past has, has been a risk taker. Mm-hmm. I'm going to take that chance. I am not going to be fearful. Yeah. For that reason, you could imagine him taking a risk on a Slowick and being impressed and thinking, that's my guy. Or is he, because it is so important, is he going to go with somebody who he thinks, worst case scenario, we will be, competitive but average with the potential to be better than that and i've seen them head coat and they're going to walk through the door and it's not going to be there's not going to be any learning curve for them they're going to know what it's like to stand in a room they're going to know what it's like to game plan they're going to know what it's like to, to lead and therefore would be more inclined to go with vrabel quinn morris who've been there and done it what what do you think his mindset will be I, I an important decision. my gut feeling, and I have nothing more to go on than that, is I think he wants the big swing. I think he wants to kind of set his own course and, and make a name for himself. I think he wants one of these guys, these younger guys that haven't done it before, to be the guy. And and I do think he kind of tipped his hand on the offensive side of the ball in that press conference a little bit um, because he voiced some of the concerns that many of us have too, you know, that you hire a defensive guy and, and then you hire a good OCs season, you just churn through them and then you never have any continuity. And if you're going to be drafting a quarterback at some point, that might not be the best culture to introduce him to. Um, but at the end of the day, uh, I think he's going to, he's going to hire the guy that he thinks he can win with. And if he, if he gets slow in front of him and he's not impressed with him or doesn't think he's ready yet, I don't think he's going to reach for him. Now I say that. And the only thing we have to go on, for a history of his personnel decisions are what we see in the draft and free agency. And we don't know, and this is a conversation we'll have closer to the draft when I have you back on during that time of season. Uh, we don't really know and won't until after this year's draft and free agency, how much of those decisions on a year in year out basis were Pete and how much of them were John because Pete had final say. And so um, it's, it's why this is such a mystery. And, and I know you feel the same way. It's, uh, I go back and forth every day. I kind of have my different favorite. Um, I have one more question for you because as we talk a lot about some of these guys that might not have an obvious staff to bring with them, right? And the, the ones that do are pretty limited. Dan Quinn, we can, we can connect dots. We can say Kellen Moore, potentially on offense, maybe uh, Brian Schottenheimer with Mike Vrabel, 
Arthur Smith is an intriguing possibility, right? If if it's one of these other defensive coordinators that doesn't have a clear guy to bring with them or a Mike McDonald, what a, how would you feel about the idea of Shane Waldron again? Still under contract. You know, he's he's been given permission to to speak to other teams. There were certainly some learning curves. There were there were some good and bad in his tenure. What are your thoughts on him and if that might be a possibility to run it back with him again for continuity's sake if the new coach doesn't have a guy to bring with him? Well, my immediate sort of thought on that is no, I, I would not be in favor of that just because I, I don't think he made the most of the weapons this year. And it's hard to, to know though because John will have a better feel for this, whether yeah. that was Pete's influence. I just can't imagine that someone who worked for Sean McVeigh would go into a game, the biggest game of the season on Thanksgiving night, and their main plan be, well, we were just going to throw it deep because they've given some penalties away, which is what Pete was saying. And when you watch the game, that's what they were trying to do. Yeah, I, It just yeah. feels like, the, you know, a McVeigh would be a little bit more cultured than that. And But then when you actually listen to there's, there's like little things, like when you look at how McVeigh talks about Mike LaFleur, who is his current offensive mm-hmm. coordinator, and he yeah. trusted him to do to call plays for the, the San Francisco game in week 18. He's speaking about how he's let him take on some leadership responsibilities. He's never let Kevin O'Connell or Shane Waldron or any of those people do. Uh, McVeigh's never really said anything that positive about Shane Waldron. And you kind of wonder, was he, you know, a good guy to have in a certain role, like passing game corner, a QB coach, but not somebody that he thought, well, I can get this guy to call plays. I don't know. These are things that John will know better. But sort of the only evidence I've got as a bloke living 5,000 miles away, watching most of the games on the on the TV, right. um, is that <laughs> I didn't think the root concepts were good enough and I don't think he made anywhere near enough out of DK Metcalf and, and the rest of the weapons. And there's been a lot of buzz around. You know, people have been saying, like Hugh Millen's been saying this, um, and he always says nudge, nudge, wink, wink when he says this, which to me, I translate as I've spoken to John Schneider about this, right. uh, is that he was, he's really frustrated at how they've not made the most of DK Metcalf. So I think he's going to get somebody who, somebody else who can do that. And when you were sort of talking then about who could these defensive guys get and my head started to churn a little bit and I'm thinking, okay, cause we're starting to see interviews take place now for offensive coordinators or other teams. And none of the names are like, wow, get him. Like, you know, you, you are looking at passing game coordinators. Like the, the Detroit passing game coordinator might end up getting interviews because he's, you know, associated with Ben Johnson and he's a very yeah. positive, upbeat speaker. And you think, well, he's somebody who is on a trajectory, but, you know, we don't really know anything about him. And this, again, it comes back to this, doesn't it? If you are Vero or, or, or Morris or, or Patrick Graham or, you know, who are they actually going to bring in? Yeah. Like there's not, they're not, there's not a long list of great offensive head coaching candidates, let alone a long list of prospective offensive coordinator positions. So if you are going to go offensive, and look, Mike Holmgren had revealed on the radio yesterday that he told John to go offensive right. coach. Yeah. You, you know, if he is going to go that way, then you kind of think that's just easier. You just you get Slowick or Johnson or whoever, and you don't have to worry about it. And then you maybe you do try and coax Graham or um the EE from Carolina uh, away, yeah, and you yeah. and you go down that road. The only thing, the only thing I would, would just sort of chuck in there. I, I was very fortunate yesterday to speak to somebody who uh, uh, who used to work for Ron Wolf, who John mm-hmm. said was mm-hmm. his mentor. And I said to him, "What's a Ron Wolf coach?" And he said, "Tough sob, stand in front of the guys, be a father figure." 
<laughs> and I thought, okay, wasn't expecting that because I was expecting offensive coach because that's two out of three without and the, the defensive guy lasted a year. Um, but I, I was surprised by that. And it just, it, you know, if, and John said he'd been speaking to Ron Wolf last Friday. Yeah. So if that message was reiterated to John, it does make you wonder a little bit, uh, you know, maybe you will think about the, you know, the Rabel Quinn type. Right. Yeah. They, they fit that bill. That's what they are. Absolutely. Well, I like one name that you dropped there. You know, when you t- talk about potential OCs, I was just having a conversation with a buddy of mine a couple of days ago. And I said, remember, remember Mike LaFleur, like three years ago, he was one of the hottest candidates in the league. Uh, there were a lot of people that wanted us to hire him at the time. We went with Shane Waldron that year instead, but a couple of years, a couple of bad years in New York with a bad rookie, you know, bad young quarterback. And he's forgotten. Um, be interesting to see if he gets any buzz this year. If, if you were, Ray, especially Ray if you, his brother, yeah. Yeah, right. Ray LaPointe, his brother at Tennessee. I mean, I'm not saying that'll happen again, but, it, you know, you do yeah. one day make, make him assistant head coach. It's a promotion. You could get him out of LA. Yeah. Yeah, especially because they have another guy in line there, too, that, that might be ready, Zach Robinson. He's been getting some of these OC uh, interviews as well. Well, it's always great to talk to you, Rob. Uh, love your insight and uh, picking your brain on these things. Nobody works as hard as you do on covering this stuff from every angle. So uh, thanks for being on the show. We'll certainly be uh, communicating uh, after the coach is hire and, uh, and I'll get your thoughts on that then. And then we'll get you on before the draft. That's uh, kind of an annual tradition here on the show. So I look forward to that. Dan, thank you. Really appreciate the invite. Love talking Seahawks with you. And uh, thank you for those very generous words. Always. Thanks, Rob. Always good to have Rob on the show. Appreciate his insight. And as I said at the top, uh, if you haven't checked out Seahawks draft blog, definitely do that. He doesn't write just about the draft. He writes about uh, issues with the team all season long. And what I really admire about Rob's work is, you know, the BBC's his full-time job. Seahawks Draft Blog is a passion project. And, um, and yet there aren't many people out there, if any, who put as much work into it as he does. Agree with him or not on his draft assessments, his assessments on the organization and the team moving forward. Um, you have to respect his dedication and the work that he puts into it. Um, so let me know what you think in the comments. Uh, did some of Rob's insight change your mind about any of the candidates? Have you done any research on your own that, that lead you to one over the other? As I mentioned, I spent quite a bit of time last night just looking at interviews that these guys have done over the last couple months to try to get a gauge for some of their personality and how they present themselves behind the podium, which, you know, is is only a part of being a head coach, but it's a pretty big part, right? You got you to gotta present yourself and, and certainly when you replace someone like Pete Carroll, you got to sell yourself to the fans and get their confidence And uh, some of these guys are are more capable of doing that than others. Follow me on Twitter at Seahawks Forever for all the latest. And uh, again, subscribe on all the socials and on YouTube so that you always get notification of new episodes for the show. Links in the description for all the past shows, my initial reaction to the Pete Carroll hiring, my five favorite coaching candidates. I'll update that in a few days. And also my talk with John Gilbert about the Seahawks salary cap situation and how they can clear quite a bit of space next year to make the moves that they need to. Thanks for watching. Thanks uh, for supporting the channel forever and always. Go Hawks.